The vaccine effort here in the United States is rolling along fairly well, even as lower income countries face a vast lack of access to enough vaccine. And India is now the epicenter of an enormous outbreak. Let's talk all about the latest news on the special monthly COVID-19 pandemic roundup right here on The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. I'm privileged to use this platform to educate and inform you, The Nurse Keith Nation, so that you can take any information you find useful and share it with others. I publish these episodes at the end of every month to give you my little update on the coronavirus pandemic. These episodes are always free of corporate sponsorship or advertisement of any kind. This is solely about education and information as a public service. The show notes for this episode can be found at nursekeith.com forward slash the word COVID-19-23. All information in these episodes about COVID-19 reference the most up-to-date information I can access, as well as personal opinions and reactions from me. Please note the situation changes at every moment, and anything I share may have changed by the time you've heard it. And please note that anything I share here is not intended for diagnosis or treatment, so please consult your healthcare provider, the CDC, the WHO, your local Department of Health, or any other evidence-based resource you trust. Thanks for understanding, stay safe, keep informed, and thanks for being here. You know, I wanna start this episode by just doing the numbers. So let's talk about the numbers. Deaths here in the United States have been rising slowly, more slowly than they were previously. We're now at 572,000 deaths. And while, yes, the rate of deaths has definitely decreased and going from 500,000 to 72,000 has taken much longer than that was taking, gosh, just a few months ago, still, those 72,000 people who have died since we hit half a million are 72,000 human beings with families, friends, loved ones, and lived lives that are now lost. And we, no matter how inured we can get, no matter how numbed we can get to these numbers, we always have to come back to the humanity at the center of these numbers. Because remember, each number represents a real human being. Cases in the U.S. are now at 32 million. Numbers are declining in Michigan, New York, and New Jersey after things were really heading south for a while there. It was pretty scary. Highest daily cases are currently still in Michigan and New Jersey, as well as Pennsylvania. New York seems to be out of the top three at this point. In terms of vaccinations here in the United States, we are very, very lucky and blessed to have the supply and the access and the infrastructure that we have. The pace is still slowing recently with fewer than 3 million doses being given per day in the last week after a peak in the weeks prior of around 3.3 million per day. We now have about 29% of Americans who are eligible for vaccination fully vaccinated, and 42% who've received at least one dose. Globally, 1 billion shots have been administered, but with 8 billion people on the planet, we still have a really long way to go, folks. 
The United States neighbor just to the north, Canada, is really struggling right now, especially the province of Ontario, which hit an all-time COVID positivity rate of 10.9% in just the last few days. The military has been deployed in the last 24 hours or so to support mitigation efforts with medical and other resources, including the activation of field hospitals. Vaccine supply is also an issue and will hopefully ramp up in May. Getting back to India, which I mentioned at the top of the show, they are averaging 300,000 new positive coronavirus cases per day. That's 300,000 and two to 3,000 deaths per day at this juncture. Some people are dying literally from suffocation simply due to a lack of available oxygen in hospitals, especially in the capital of Delhi, as well as other cities, not to mention a shortage of ventilators. Officials are saying that the number of coronavirus-related deaths in India, two to 3,000 deaths per day, is probably vastly lower than it actually is because many people are dying at home because there's no room in the hospitals. Some people are dying in the streets and some people are dying before they've even been tested, but we know they likely have COVID and they're dying of suffocation. A horrible, horrible scenario there. There's concerns in India over a double mutant, B. It contains genetic mutations found in two difficult-to-control versions of the virus. One is dominant strain that was originally seen in South Africa, and the other is a highly contagious variant that was plaguing California not that long ago. The Philippines, the United States, Britain, Canada, Singapore, and other countries are now restricting commercial flights from India at this time. Australia is sending ventilators, and the United States is donating raw materials for the manufacturing of vaccine, as well as 60 million doses of AstraZeneca, a vaccine for which we in the United States have no need although we have an enormous supply because we ordered it in advance and the FDA has not given it federal emergency use authorization. So we might as well send it to India where it's needed. So hopefully no red tape or bureaucracy or political issues are going to stand in the way of those AstraZeneca vaccines being sent to India. Feel free to call your member of Congress or your Senator and the White House to urge them to send these 60 million doses to India ASAP. The World Health Organization has deployed 2,600 staff to India for support, so please keep them in your thoughts. The Centers and Disease Control here in the United States took a major step today on Tuesday, April 28th, toward coaxing Americans into what they're calling the post-pandemic world. We're not there, but, you know, we're taking some steps in that direction. And they've relaxed the rules on mask wearing outdoors as coronavirus cases have been receding and people are increasingly, let's say, pushing back against restrictions. The mask guidance is modest And like the New York Times says, very carefully written, Americans who are fully vaccinated against the coronavirus no longer to need wear a mask outdoors while walking, running, hiking, or biking alone 
or when in small gatherings, including with members of their own households. Masks are still necessary in crowded outdoor venues like sports stadiums. So that is the latest from the CDC on mask wearing outdoors here in the United States. Like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, with these 60 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine that we have sitting around in stockpiles that we have no need of, now is the time as healthcare professionals and citizens to use our voices and get involved. There are plenty of ways to do so if you're looking for ways to get involved. Like I mentioned a few moments ago, you can call your senator or member of Congress, call the White House, write letters, write emails, tell them you want them to help other countries as much as possible to send our excess vaccine, like the 60 million AstraZeneca doses, to India as soon as possible. You can write letters to the editor if you would like to counter misinformation, if you would like to push back against conspiracy theories and uh, all this different stuff that's flying around the internet. Write letters to the editor as a nurse, as a healthcare professional. Put your credentials after your name so that people know that you're a healthcare professional and you know what you're talking about. Again, your legislators are people you can go to. You can also use your voice in very, very small but significant ways. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your community members, the members of your church or synagogue or mosque. Talk to your family and friends. Talk to people about getting vaccinated, about getting tested, and about continuing to be vigilant in the face of the ongoing pandemic. Now, in terms of my main concerns and the things that I'm doing my best to talk about and speak up about are, like you've heard before here on other episodes of the Nurse Keith Show Coronavirus Pandemic Updates, is vaccine disparity. Low-income countries like Jamaica, where I have very good friends and my godson, who's 11 years old, lives, are facing enormous hurdles in order to vaccinate enough citizens. While here in the United States, we fret over vaccine hesitancy, which is a thing and we need to fret over it, something I'll discuss in a little bit in a little more detail, but Jamaican officials are facing only being able to vaccinate less than 20% of their entire country's population before the end of 2021. And like I said, I have a personal stake in Jamaica because I have dear friends there who are like family, my godson, people who I've worked with, with um, orphaned children with HIV in rural hospitals in eastern Jamaica with uh, Global Children, a nonprofit who we partnered with years ago. You know, we all have stakes in whoever it is we love, whatever place we feel connected to where the virus has infiltrated and wreaked havoc. And I am sitting on pins and needles when it comes to Jamaica and other countries that lack access and that we know we have the resources to make things better for them. Now, according to an article I read on the website of the Kaiser Family Foundation at kff.org, I'll have a link in the, in the show notes, high-income countries represent just a fifth of the global adult population, but we've purchased more than half of all vaccine doses in the world, resulting in what I've been talking about, these huge disparities between adult population share and doses purchased 
for all other country income groups. So Kaiser Family Foundation said this, quote, We find that although high-income countries only account for 19% of the global adult population, collectively, they have purchased 54% or 4.6 billion global vaccine doses to date. Of the remaining doses, 33% have been purchased by low- to middle-income countries who account for 81% of the global adult population. And an additional 13% have been purchased by COVAX, which is a conglomeration of countries working together to help distribute vaccines equitably around the world. So looking by country income group, we are essentially hogging so much vaccine. And the disparity, according to KFF, Kaiser Family Foundation, is even more pronounced when looking at the share who could be vaccinated. While enough vaccine doses have been purchased to cover more than 80% of the adult population, high-income countries, get this, own enough doses to vaccinate more than twice their population, while low- to middle-income countries can only cover a third of their population. Providing all COVAX doses to low-middle-income countries could help, but this would still leave vaccines out of reach for most of the global population. COVAX, again, accounts for 13% of the total number of global doses purchased, but they haven't even finalized their distribution plan for full supply, though most doses are expected to go to those low to middle income countries. So this disparity is something that eats away at me every day. And when we hear about the struggles with COVAX, when we hear about the United States, for instance, having enough doses to vaccinate every adult twice, fully vaccinate every adult twice, something is amiss and something needs to change. And again, this comes back to us pressuring our legislators and the White House to do better. Now, before we close, I want to talk about vaccine hesitancy, which is actually a phenomenon around the world. Here in the United States, in terms of vaccine hesitancy, research is showing that it's being driven largely by Republicans, by those who live in rural areas, and white evangelicals. And I've personally encountered many in the new age or spiritual or alternative communities who I have a little bit of a window into through social media, especially Instagram, it seems. I found a lot of people in those communities espousing really crazy conspiracy theories, and I'm hearing them here in Santa Fe as well. Theories like this. Someone on Instagram was espousing a theory that public health nurses like me who do COVID testing at drive-through and walk-up sites around the country are actually purposely infecting people with swabs that are impregnated with the coronavirus. So that's the first time I've heard that one. And I was absolutely, you can imagine, livid when I saw someone write that. And you can imagine what I said in response. Don't even get me started, though you already have. The theories about microchips are really rampant. There's also theories about this being the mark of the beast, et cetera, et cetera. But the microchip issue, just if we think about this in a logical way, we have a 10-dose vial of vaccine, 
And I'm standing there reconstituting the vaccine and drawing it up into 10 syringes to give to 10 people. How am I, a nurse, supposed to know how to get one microchip out of that vial into the vaccine syringe so that I can give that microchip and put it into another person? How is that even logically possible? However, we know that people believe that the earth is flat. People believe that the moon landing was staged on a Hollywood soundstage. So, you know, people can believe that microchips are being implanted in them by public health nurses who are evil and who are also putting swabs impregnated with COVID into their noses because we want everyone to be infected with this virus so we can microchip them. So you can see we've got a problem. And another problem I encountered reading through the news just today was that 5 million Americans who've received their first dose of either the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna vaccine have chosen to skip their second doses and don't plan to get another one. Many say that the side effects of the first dose were too much for them and they've decided it's too dangerous to get the second dose. Others have said that they feel they are protected enough by the first vaccine and they don't need another dose. And what this causes me to be concerned about and many people in the public health space is that if we're going to need to get an annual booster against COVID-19, just like the flu, every year from now on, this does not bode well. How are we going to get these boosters into enough arms to reach herd immunity? How are we even going to reach herd immunity this year? before the coming winter in about six or seven months. So the fears that were stoked around the pause, the recent pause of the use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine here in the United States, whew, that has definitely caused an enormous spike, obviously, in vaccine hesitancy and mistrust. The concern was over the potential for blood clots, we could see that the risk was somewhere in a one in a million or one in 800,000 in terms of the risk of those dangerous blood clots, which of course, if you're one of the people to get that blood clot, of course, that's a great fear. And we don't want people to get sick and die. However, we also have to weigh that against the fact that someone who gets COVID-19 has a much greater risk of blood clots. I think it's one in 500 or one in a thousand. And people who use birth control pills, women who take birth control, also have an extremely high risk of blood clots. And even in the general population, the risk of blood clots is astronomically higher than those who have been given the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. However, the vaccine hesitancy is here. It's here to stay. The Johnson & Johnson pause, while some of us questioned the intelligence of that pause, the damage has been done, and now we have to try to make up for lost time. The other thing troubling me lately in terms of the pandemic is that more young people are getting infected and seriously ill. We can imagine, perhaps, that as more and more older people are vaccinated and not getting very ill or getting infected at all, the virus is intelligent and it's trying to find ways to mutate in order to continue to thrive and multiply and 
find new hosts. So it's going to be targeting, in my opinion, younger populations. And a small but significant number of children are showing serious symptoms, including very severe neurological symptoms and myopathies and cardiomyopathies and coagulopathies. So folks, we're still in a very serious situation. And if anyone tries to convince you otherwise, they are not telling you the truth. We really do have a great deal of work to do. And I encourage you to get involved in any way you see fit. And remember, every conversation you have with every single person out there, the cashier at Trader Joe's, your neighbor down the street, your crazy uncle, whoever it happens to be, every time we can get another person fully vaccinated against the coronavirus, we are depriving the coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, of another opportunity to mutate. Every unvaccinated person is another possible opportunity for mutation. It is a race against time. We are all involved in the fight to whatever extent we would like to be. And I encourage you to get involved as much as you possibly can. And however you have the wherewithal and bandwidth to do so. So there you have it. There's my COVID-19 pandemic diatribe at the end of April 2021. Thanks for listening. I'll bring you another one at the end of May. And the show notes with some of those links I mentioned will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word COVID-19-23. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Find us at healthpodcastnetwork.com. The show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting. And Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. And I am so, so grateful to Rob and Mark for their help every single day. Stay safe, stay informed, and be the nurse, healthcare professional, and citizen who does the right thing in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. Be well.